Minions and Musings back on the airwaves. Evil Jeff back behind the mic. Welcome in. We're in the brand new season and it's time to continue on. Yes, Talislanta diving in. This is now the second edition stuff that we are going to be talking about. And we have three books that we're going to look at in second edition. As a reminder, or if you are catching this podcast for the first time and wondering what's going on here, a while back I decided I was going to review Talislanta, see what it was all about. You know, the whole ad back in the mid-80s that we saw in Dragon Magazine, uh, White, uh, White Dwarf Magazine, and so forth, you know, no elves, a different fantasy setting. And I was like very curious about that, especially once I figured out that all of it is free online right now, except for uh, some upcoming stuff. So why not? It's a free game, you know. Evil Jeff loves free. You know, I didn't have to spend any money on it. That's great. Only thing to make it better if somebody paid me to download the free stuff. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So. What is it about Talislanta? And I wanted to see, with all of these editions that are out there, what is it that's about Talislanta? And if you were going to play Talislanta, what would be the best edition to play? Now, if we go with the thought that we have with other games, or supposedly other games, you know, the newer editions have been revised. They they are better, better organized, better mechanics, maybe. You know, we've added more stuff. You know, maybe it's better. Now, I know there's going to be people that's going to say, well, you know, let's look at D&D. Yeah, that's that's not happening. There's too <laughs> too much there. Uh, how about Champions? The hero system. It is easy for me to say that 4th edition is a great edition. 5th and 6th are different. Are they better than 4th edition? Uh, that's, that's a little debatable. That's a little bit debatable to me. Uh, I haven't quite figured out, though I do like what I've seen out of 6th edition. But they definitely are better than 1st, 2nd, and 3rd edition overall. I will give them that. So, there has been progression in that aspect. So, why not Talislanta? Why not leave Talislanta and say, okay, if you were going to put some effort into it, what should you go ahead and download for free? I mean, go ahead and download all of it, obviously. What should you download? And what would be the best, in my opinion, and your mileage may vary, best edition to play? And I'm going to go ahead and, and say this out loud now, while I'm in second edition, because I've already uh, been reading and kind of looking ahead of some things, kind of gauging how I want to do some stuff, I've got a feeling that there's going to be one edition that we're going to play, but you're going to use older supplements, older rule books for additional information. Because I don't think all of it's repeated. So that's where I think we're going with that. We have three books in second edition that we are going to talk about. The... Cyclopedia Talislanta, which is what we're going to look at on this podcast. The next one after that will be the Talislanta Handbook and Campaign Guide, second edition, and then the Talislanta World Book.
So let's get into this. All right, the Cyclopedia Talos Lanta. This is the first book that came out in the second edition. Now, when you look at the timing of all of these uh, individual books and so forth, this book comes out one month after the first edition Sorcerer's Guide and about 13 months before the second edition Handbook and Campaign Guide, the rules. And reading through both of them, it looked like the handbook was going to come out first, then the Cyclopedia Talislanta. There's some verbiage in them that suggests that. However, that's not how it occurred. The Cyclopedia Talislanta comes out first. It's 88 pages uh, overall, and we've got uh, maps in there, and then info about the maps. We've got new creatures that show up, new animals and uh, you know beasts, and then insects, and then uh, flora that are out there. We do have some new character types that are in the Cyclopedia Talislanta. And you get the feeling that this was sort of the collection of all the additional things that had been generated since the first edition information had come out. One of the nice things is that there's not a lot of the wasted ad space at the back of this book like there were on other books. It kind of slimmed it up a little bit for us. There is a nice introduction, and I do want to read the very first paragraph in here. The Cyclopedia Talislanta is a fantasy role-playing campaign supplement developed exclusively for a Talislanta game. Within, players and game masters will find a wealth of new material ready to be assimilated into the Talislanta milieu, a unique world setting designed for experienced FRP gamers who are looking for something more challenging than the usual Elves and Dwarves campaigns. Right there. That's all you need. That's your elevator pitch. That's all we need to let people know. No Elves and Dwarves. Now, do we have a little bit of an analog? Yeah, there's a little analog in there. But we can work with that. So, right after that introduction and the contents, you get into eight pages of maps. What they've taken is the entirety of the Talislanta continent and broken up over eight pages. It has been color-coded so you can see the different terrain features better. Uh, there are borders in there so you, and uh, there are also some um, roads and so forth. So you automatically have a much better view of how things laid out, where the norm is for exploring or traveling. Uh, and quite honestly, there is a lot of areas there where easy, you know, hey, let's turn off the trail at this point, And that gets us to some ancient ruin, something like that, which would be part of your uh, campaign, your game, whatever we have in there. 
nicely uh, it's laid out nice you know basically figure out the continent cut it into eight sections then starting at the left top left would be one then underneath that would be two the next section to the right would be three four etc as you go through there and you get to see uh, some of these realms that were not as easily seen on the smaller black and white one-page map um, the fact that it's color-coded uh, does help you understand where certain things are at because uh, it's not as readily apparent when you're reading it and then you've got 21 pages right after the maps which is your index of map listings and you typically have three to six sentences for each of the locations in there um, sometimes there's some areas that you've got two paragraphs of information most of anything that was in the old chronicles of Talislanta some of the verbiage in there that was used to describe things probably will show up in here I kinda did a quick check and I saw that uh, though the original Chronicles of Talislanta being more prose oriented giving you a, a, a feel for how things would be in each of these different places that are in there so you will have to do a little bit of distillation uh, overall but if you need something really quick you know to get an idea of what's going on what is an and a particular item then you know this is where it's at right here this index 21 pages worth of good information the next section after our index is the naturalist compendium from first edition we had the naturalist guide to Talislanta. this is an additional uh, set of pages 30 pages of new creatures that we're going to have there. We're also going to have some animals and insects after that. But when you start reading through this, some of it, we feel like we've upped the danger level. These are definitely just adding on to the the danger that is Talislanta. <laughs> I mean, it's, if you... If you want nice, safe places to travel, go back to your elves and dwarves fantasy settings. You know, if you have played um, uh, Dark Sun, yeah, that's not a very hospitable world. Yeah, that that fits in to me along with what we have with Talislanta. You know, it's not a pretty world. It's not a nice world. It's harsh overall. There were some interesting creatures that I found in here. Uh, the Batranc, or Batranc, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's a kite-winged predator. Spends its entire life in the air. It never lands. A 30-foot-plus wingspan, 10-foot long. Basically, think of a snake with this sort of... Uh, eagle head on it or something like that but it has some fangs and you got these big old kite sort of wings and this is a crazy thing and you're ne now when are you going to encounter it if you're in one of the wind ships out there or if you are high up in the mountains it doesn't come down low 
down into those jungles, down into the cities. It doesn't do that. It goes, you know, at the high places. That's the only time that you're really going to work with them. Another interesting creature that I found in here, uh, Lynn is harkening back to that idea of the sorceress hybridizations that is so much of Talislanta. And we've got a listing known as the Half-Men. And a lot of this was done, all the hybridization was done before the Great Disaster. It's pretty much looked down upon now, but there are a couple places that still may do it. Um, when you really look at this for Half-Men, this is one of the times that let's make a humanoid creature and then just add all sorts of weird stuff to it. You know, let's put a crab claw on one side and talons on the other. You know, let's give it some weird skin. You know, maybe fur in areas, scales in others. So, you know, you could do that. They they try to live outside of society, outside the law, mostly thieves and bandits. And they do roam around out there. Another new creature in here was the Karakon or Karakon giant. Uh, this is actually a playable race that's in here, and one of the interesting notes about it was that their ancestors of this race believed to go back to very early in the Forgotten Ages, well before the Great Disaster. Um, but they are still, you know, sort of primitive. There are only a few hundred of these uh, remaining on the continent that move around. They are highly prized, coveted as slaves, where they make some big old bad bodyguards. I mean, when you're talking a creature that's 12 to 15 foot high, yeah, that sounds like a good bodyguard that you might have there. Another interesting creature was the Mang. It is a uh, sentient tree. It can speak, upper limbs can move, but it is rooted in place. So, you know, you could definitely talk to it. This is not one that I would say is against you, unless you wanted to attack it, because you're just, you know, I guess murder hobo in this land is not as uncommon with some characters, but I mean, you know, this is not a, a bad creature to have very observant and could provide information. You know, why not have something running around like that? We've got our Jeff Goldblum creature. The Mandrak looks like a fly wasp hybrid, something in there. Uh, six to seven foot tall, talons, fangs, poisonous fangs, poisonous claws. Um, so it's a, and they do live in a social structure. So there is that. Uh, there was another interesting creature, which is a sort of fantastical thing known as the Oruk, known as the mountain that walks. <laughs> this is a creature that is 500 foot in diameter. Plus, 200 plus foot in height. It looks like a giant 
hill or mountain that has six legs and walks and will, moves very, very slow and live, you know, will stay in one place for years at a time, pull its nourishment from the soil and then moving on. And the interesting thing is they tell you that this thing basically over centuries could make a canyon. So, you know, I, I found that as a, a very interesting creature to have, you know, what if that was part of your adventure where you had to find a specific auroch because it had eaten something and now you have to figure out how to get inside of it and retrieve whatever item that is. Or maybe some mad wizard sorcerer implanted something on the outside of the auroch. And as it's grown, it's grown over this item. And now you have to go find said creature and then try to extract that item. Just interesting thought. Now, a nicer part that I found in here was a listing known as the Talislantian Fauna. So, a lot of what we have in the Natural's Guide were a lot of the creatures that you got to worry about. But what about common animals, things that would be used for food or things like that? You know, describe some of those birds or fish or snakes or, you know, what reptiles, amphibians, or whatever the heck you want to call them. How about describe some of those? So we have actually uh, six pages of what I to think of as the... Uh, animals or creatures that are lower on the food chain for us. Uh, we've got the Angorn, which is a nice uh, bird that glides over the oceans. Well, sort of. It actually dives into the water. It's a winged eel. And catches things and glides up above the water for up to an hour. You know, you've got uh, the Chang, which looks like some armored fish that would be in the deep, deep seas of our oceans and so forth, but actually lives in inland seas and rivers. Uh, rather armored. Looks like, has a metallic exoskeleton. That's, that's the last thing we need there. Um, Erds, a domesticated six-legged mammal. They're placid, but can be made aggressive. They're usually, it's their version of a, an ox, maybe. Uh, giant mollusks. Um, Mord, which looks like a semi-intelligent um, I should say, excuse me. It's an avian scavenger. It is semi-intelligent. Uh, like some weird lizard, humanoid type thing with wings. Kind of crazy looking. We've got insects that you might come across. So these are nice. They're not very... Uh, you know, usually only like a point or two of hit points. Don't do a lot of damage, but... This is Talislanta, so 
definitely is going to have some poison in there. But some of these insects also have items that you want. You know, the gold beetle has a carapace of pure gold. And this is one of the creatures that one of the, uh, the mud miners of Mog, this is the one thing that they look for as part of their digging out mud and anything else like that. So you know, the insects here are definitely going to have things that are going to help make you wealthy or get some coin or something like that or be an ingredient in some sort of alchemical thing. Uh, Talislantian flora, three pages. It does list these plants and if they have any useful parts whether it's for healing, whether it's for creating poisons or some alchemical things, uh, it is listed in there. We come to uh, the next section, which are new character types that are added in for Talislanta Milieu. Uh, some interesting little pieces here. Uh, we have something known as the Noral Rabidomancer. And when you look at the picture and look at the description, to me, it sounded like a Jawa. Yeah, it sounded and looks kind of like a Jawa. So, there's a example for you. Um, the Monad Servitor. These are a set of Sorcerer's Hybrids that were bred strictly for their size and strength no skills it is just you know something that we want to have attack you know most of these are unskilled laborers uh, probably going to be a slave of some variety but interesting to note these monads are gentle by nature they don't like to be part of violent professions. So, you know, it's an interesting little thing here. The thing that makes this monad a challenge for role players is that it is mute. It communicates in sign language. Now, are you going to be the evil DM that enforces that at the table? <laughs> Another one that I find hard to for you to play later on the uh, where do they go the Parthian Sea Trader Parthian excuse me Parthian Sea Trader they are xenophobes they do not contact other peoples they avoid it as all possible they rarely set foot on land you know so this is going to be one of those times that you're not going to have you know, this just sounds like an NPC race to me I don't see this as a, a, a player character race that is going to be done because it's really hard to imagine a xenophobic race that has going to have somebody that's going to be like oh I love all peoples it's just very difficult for me to come across there in 2nd edition, we come across the race that Carl, over at the Geomologist 
Presents was talking about the Yasan Technomancer. And all of a sudden, now we are bringing in this race of peoples that are all about these old sciences, old occult sciences, this technology that was out there that we've, you know, as the Talislantian people have lost the knowledge of it. They're one of the few that can actually uh, go back and do it. You know, if you needed your windship repaired, they're the ones that are going to do it. I don't see this as a major playable race, but they do have combat training. So in certain instances, I could see somebody playing one of these. Uh, in troop play, I guess you could do that. So yeah, some new character types for us. Right after the new character types, we've got a listing of new conveyances for water, one land, one wind based conveyance that are out there. And then a page of new weaponry that is basically part of the new character types that are listed within this uh, Chronicles, or excuse me, Cyclopedia Talisanta. My bad. And then we finish up the book with the Game Master section. So, a uh, number of things that we've listed already, like the new weapons, uh, new equipment, things are out there. Now we've got the pricing for them, the new, some new beasts that could be used as conveyances, um, or you know, use it, you know, riding it or using it to drag a cart or something like that. Uh, we have new skills that are part of the different um, whatever I was talking about there <laughs> the different character types uh, new combat skills new thieving talents new uh, alchemical skills magical skills like the tech technomancy uh, repair mechanisms uh, thieving talents espionage sabotage you know and it's only two pages worth of that in the game master section um, what was it? There was I had a note here that I wanted to say. Oh, uh, weaponless combat. So more or less, it's a self-defense type of you know attacking. You know, weaponless combat uh, using fists to block blows or punches or wrestling. So. There, there's that. It doesn't cost a lot to acquire. It's only five experience points there. Uh, for the thieves, the street fighting is actually the weaponless combat, but it's for thieves. Think of weaponless combat as the honorable way of fighting, and the street fighting as the dirty way of fighting. You know, this is where you go for the eyes and you know the genitalia and things like that. You know, throw dirt in their face, etc. So. So yes, just a couple pages uh, that add on to your Talislanta experience for the GM. That gets us through the eight pages there. Um, I took a note from myself to not do as, as hard of a dive as I did in first edition. Because really what I'm doing is just adding on. You know, have we added something new that you'd want to use? 
And yeah, there's some nice stuff to use in here. We are definitely seeing the expansion of the original Talislanta world into the second edition. So, if you were waiting for the second edition rules to come out, but wanted something new to play, well, hey, we've got that right here. So, to me, I think that's why we saw the Cyclopedia Talislanta come out prior to the handbook and campaign guide that was second edition. Even though the information that's in here does get incorporated into the main rule book for second edition. So if you were only wanting to play first edition, definitely go ahead and grab this book as part of second edition. It is still laid out the same. Same font size and everything. Which does make it a little hard to read at times. But you'd be used to it in there. And there we have it. Just one podcast, which I wasn't sure if that was going to happen, for the Cyclopedia Talislanta. Thanks for joining me. And we will see you next dive. Have a good day.